world's view of love is so skewed and wrong. The world's view of love is as if it's defined as an acceptance of all things. That certainly isn't love at all. Not at all. It is God who demonstrates true love, the Creator, the one who created everything, who chooses to love us based on truth, to provide, to help us for what we truly and genuinely need. Anyhow, Acts chapter 16. Let's get into this here today. I want to get this message finished up. And Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start reading in verse number 22. It says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out a sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of, that, of the night, and washed their stripes, was baptized he and all his straightway. When he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. When it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told the saying, uh, this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. Now do they thrust, thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told those words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message today. Lord, help me to stay true to your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you control what I say and how I say it. I pray that it would challenge us, that it would change us, that it would draw us closer to you. Please meet the needs that are in this room. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing, and that perhaps even this morning they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So last week we began this message, and we dealt with the very first point, that dealing with the suffering saints, with what was taking place. Um, we had Paul and Silas were thrown into prison as a result of casting out the demon out of that possessed damsel. 
who we, we discussed her a couple of weeks prior. She was considered one of those oracles, and we, we, we know that from the word that is used. It means python spirit, so we know exactly where she was from, how she was looked at in Macedonia, and somehow she becomes a slave to these guys and becomes a huge income for it. Uh, for them, she would she would provide uh, she would generate quite a bit of income, and of course she was following uh, Paul and his group as they were as they were witnessing and preaching and proclaiming. These are the servants of the Most High God that teaches the way of salvation, and of course Paul would have none of it. And we dealt with that. That saying was very true. But I assure you, the devil wants no, no praise from demons or anything of the sort. And we also dealt in the deceptiveness of that. As the devil loves to appear as an angel of light, he loves to give enough truth so that he can suck you in. And that demon would love nothing more than to get associated with what Paul was doing during that time. But that, you can go back and listen to that. That was a couple of weeks ago. And so, as a result of casting out that demon, that, that damsel is now in her right mind, and the, the, the business owners are furious. They've lost their source of income, and they cause an uproar in the town. They have Paul arrested, and that's where we picked it up last week. Once he was arrested, they had him beaten right there severely. We dealt with how severe that beating would have been. And then they're thrust into the inner prison. The jailer gets them. He takes them. He puts their feet in stocks. That wasn't just so they, they could run away. It was also a form of punishment. It, it, would, it would spread their legs greatly. Basically, be very difficult. They could stand up, but it would be difficult. Only thing you could do with them is just lay down. So they have to lay down on their backs that were just beaten incredibly. And so picture the scene again. They've been beaten severely. There was no trial. They're not condemned. No trial has taken place. They're trying to do God's, uh, uh, God's will. They're in Philippi under the Lord's direction. The Lord led them into Europe, into Macedonia, to begin preaching the gospel, to get churches established. And now they find themselves beaten severely, laying in a prison. It's midnight now, the Bible tells us. And you can see their response, though. You can just, and that's what we dealt with last week, was their response to this. How all of a sudden, they start praising the Lord. They, start, they, they pray and they sing praises to God. And there was an important lesson I don't want you to forget from last week's message right there about when they, were, when they did respond, how they sang praises to God. So often when we go through troublesome times in our life, we get so focused on the trials instead of God. It just causes more misery. And you wonder why you can't get out of it. You're so focused on that. Paul and Silas, they didn't start singing songs about being in the valley. They sang praises to God. I gave a great example of the book of Habakkuk last week. The first two chapters, you just don't understand why God is allowing this. There's judgment coming. The, the Babylonians are coming. I mean, all this. But then basically, as you finish up that book, Habakkuk forgets all about it. You want to know what his, what his solution was? He just started thinking about God. He got his mind on God. And so we dealt with that. And their response last week, when they were handling this midnight hour, how crucial it was, what they focused on was God, not their circumstances. That is key in our life when we're going through troublesome times. <clears throat> and so in the middle of that, we saw God moving. A great earthquake takes place. And just incredible. The foundations of the prison are shaken. However, the walls do not collapse. You have another miracle that takes place. It wasn't a result of, of the earthquake. It was a result of God doing all the doors were open and all the bands were loose. Just incredible. All those would be stunned at what just taking place. Everyone would be. So we're going to pick this up this week. 
with now, we looked at the suffering saints, but now we're going to see a soul saved. And really, it's going to end up being multitude saved. We're going to focus on the jailer. In verse number 27, it says this, the earthquake has just taken place. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came in trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He asked the most important question in the world. Last week we talked about there's important questions in life. For instance, how did I get here? Why am I here? What is my purpose? But none of those exceed the importance of that question. Matter of fact, the goal is all those other questions should lead you to that one. If you get truth and the answer to those, you will come to ask this exact same question. So as we look at the jailer now, there's three things that we're going to see. We're going to see his conviction, his conversion, and his change. And this is the true, genuine pattern of how salvation genuinely works. Every single time, there is genuine conviction, which then leads to conversion, which then truly does lead to a change. Let's look at his conviction first. So we're in the middle of these events. The jailer is in his room. The earthquake hits. The earthquake hits hard. He jumps up, and to his despair, he sees all the doors are open. You can just imagine being him for a second with what, how horrible that feeling had to be to the jailer. You see, because according to Roman law, if there's just one person that's in there that is facing capital punishment, he would be executed if he escapes. That was the law. And so the earthquake hits. The doors are open. He knows what's going to happen to him. He thinks they've all fled. I mean, after all, if, if, if you're in prison and you're facing capital punishment, those, those prison doors fly open and your bands are loosed, you're gone. So he goes and he gets his dagger or his sword, whatever it was, and he's going to take his own life. And this was common in Greek and Roman culture. Matter of fact, fascinating in world history. It's almost, it's almost without fail in world history that where suicides can become so common in pagan cultures as an answer, as a solution somehow. It's only when you see Christianity come into a culture does that idea disappear. But in, his, in the jailer's mind, this is his only recourse. But, of course, we see Paul intervenes. Anybody who was hard-hearted or about self or about vengeance would have let the cruel jailer just go ahead and kill himself. Of course, Paul was not even close to that kind of man. Paul, knowing what is going to happen, that this jailer is likely to take his own life, yells out to him, do thyself no harm, we're all here, nobody's left. You don't have to do this. I mean, and then you can just imagine. I mean, the jailer calls for a light. He hears Paul's words. And he sees every single one of the prisoners still there. It's at this point you can see how real his conviction is. 
So he comes down before Paul and Silas and he falls down just trembling. Just trembling. Falls. This is that tough jailer. I mean, here's that guy. Most of these men were retired military men that were put in charge. And here he is trembling before Paul and Silas, asking that most important question, what must I do to be saved? Now, he was talking about his soul. Some like to say, well, no, he, he met, he met you know, uh, physically. No, he has nothing to be afraid of physically now. All the prisoners are present. He sees it. He has nothing to fear. Nothing at all. We can prove that what he's talking about is his soul. You have to put yourself there. This is a narrative that takes place. Therefore, draw the picture in your mind what the Bible wants you to see. Go to that place. See the magnitude of what has happened. You can see why he fell down before them asking the question. Now, this would have flown a little bit better had, we, had I been able to finish this all last week. But just think of the ruckus in the town the day before. You have the jailer. He's in charge of the jail. He's summoned. Here's these men. They're beating them severely. We believe Paul was referring to one of, uh, uh, this beating me, one of the three that he referenced later on as exceeding 40 stripes what he took on his back. And the charge against him, of course, there is no, there's no trial. The jailer knows that. They're just beating them because a mob arose up. And, and the charge was this, that all of a sudden you had the oracle who had been proclaiming, these are the servants of the Most High God that teach us the way of salvation. Everybody would know the oracle. Everybody would know that demon-possessed lady. And now she's in her right mind. The jailer saw all that. He witnessed it. And then he gets Paul and Silas. He's taken into the prison. He's putting their feet in stocks. He's having this done. And yet, there's something already different about Paul and Silas. They're not begging for mercy. They're not, they're not sitting there saying, no, please don't do this. Please, we're innocent. They're not cussing the jailer out. How these two men are responding is unlike anything he has witnessed before. So much the so in their response, the Bible makes it very clear. All the prisoners are listening to what's taking place. They hear what Paul and Silas are doing. So the jailer puts him in the stocks. He sees how severe the beating is. And as he heads out, I have no doubt he can hear their prayers. Just like all the prisoners heard. They start praying. But it doesn't end there. And then he hears these guys, instead of pleading, please, please help, please get us out of here, let us just sit up and get off our back, or begging for mercy. He hears them begin singing praises to God. Not, not woe is me. Not God on the mountain is still God in the valley. Praises to God. Everyone is Stunned. Every single prisoner is like, what in the world? And no doubt, rumors are already fine. What are these guys in for? You know that oracle? This guy, whatever he did, her power is gone. She was proclaiming that they were the servants of the Most High God. And here they are, singing 
It's so important how you handle the midnight hour. And then in the middle of their singing, a great earthquake hits. Everybody's listening to them. They know why they're in prison. And an earthquake hits. Not one of them thought that was coincidence. Not only that, all of a sudden the doors fly open. Maybe you could see one or two doors fly open. But all of them. On top of that, their bands were all loosed. Every single person knew. Whoever these two are, what's happening is tied to them. No one left. Paul didn't have a sword in his hand. He didn't have a gun to him. Nobody goes anywhere. No. There was something different about these men. The jailer jumps up, sees the doors are open, goes to take his life. Paul, Paul, the, the, the same man that he knew was different than any other prisoner, calls out, do thyself no harm. That light goes on. And to his shock, the prisoners, some of whom are, under, are condemned to death, no one's left. That man knew right there, whatever these men have, I need. This is different. Maybe, who knows, maybe in the weeks that Paul had been in Philippi already, maybe he's heard him preach. He sees all the prisoners right there, all the prisoners obeying them, because all the prisoners are just in awe over the events. The jailer knew there's something different here. He comes trembling down, falls down before Paul and Silas, and he asks the most important question that is in existence. What must I do to be saved? Which now comes into his conversion. This question must be answered. The world thinks you can have your own answer to this question. You cannot. That is a lie. There isn't your own truth. That's nonsense. There is the truth. Just like gravity is a truth. You can't have your own truth in relation to gravity. If, if, if you think you can have your own truth in, in, in life, then let's go on top of flat top. And you choose your truth that gravity doesn't affect you. And go ahead and run off flat top. Let us watch and film it. Know what will happen? What is actually true will take over. That's true in every area of life. You can't just pretend you have your own truth. This question has to be answered. And there is only one answer to it. The world likes to think, well, no, there's multiple. The world has their own answer to it. They offer you religion or whatever else you want or, or try to get you to think you don't even need an answer to this question. The world likes to believe, well, if there is a God, you know, I'm basically a good person. I mean, God wouldn't actually condemn anybody. Oh, how they misunderstand the holy and righteous God who loves them. We see the answer to the question in verse 31. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. 
This is the answer. It is the only answer to that question. You see, because of who Christ was, and and remember, we just talked about that on Wednesday night of who He is. This was God who became a man in order to save you. It's the whole reason God became a man 2,000 years ago was because He did love you, because He understood that if you stood before God in judgment, that you have zero hope of yourself because you have broken His law. You are condemned. God's not going to look at you and say, you know what? You you and I, we have our own thing worked out. I think you're a pretty good person. That's not how this is going to work. God's not going to look and say, by the way, what day did you get baptized? We're going to have a baptismal service next week. That baptistry is going to be filled with water right there. Do you actually think the water of Anchorage, Alaska can take your sin away? That's absurd. Baptism doesn't save you. Is it important? It is. It's the first step of obedience after conversion. The answer is that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because of who He is and what He did. When He became a man, incredible. The Bible refers to Him as that second Adam. He was coming... To live the perfect life as a man. He was coming, so he is the only man who's ever lived on this planet, ever. The only one who could go to the judgment day as a man. And the father could say, you're innocent. I find no fault. He's the only one. It's not you, it's not me, it's no one else. He's it. Think about that. He's the only one in the history of the world that can go to the judgment day And be declared innocent. He lived that perfect life for you. What he was doing was for you. You see, when he went to the cross, it's amazing. When he went to that cross, this is why Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He's the only answer to it. That's it. When he went to the cross, the Bible tells us what happened. God the Father placed upon His Son all of our sin. All of it. As if He was the transgressor is what I mean by that. As if He was the one who who, who was the sinner, the wicked one, the vile one. He takes all your vileness upon Himself and God the Father judges Him in your place. That satisfied justice. God the Father Himself said, that's enough. Jesus cried out, it is finished. It was enough. It would work. For the eternal God, who is perfectly just, understood this will work. So he takes your sin, but that's not all the Bible says. He gives you his perfect life. He changes places with you. He says, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's because of what Christ did on the cross. That he is the answer to that question. If you have another answer to that question, you have been deceived. He is the only answer to the question. He is the only one who satisfied justice. He is the only one who has lived a perfect life. He is the only one that defeated death and rose again. 
It's not how good you are, what church you attend. The question is, is your faith in Jesus Christ alone? That jailer puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So does his household. Even so much so, the Bible tells us that same night, they are followed up with baptism. And I need to cover this just for a second here. I don't have a lot of time to spend here, but I need to. This right here in this chapter, I mentioned it briefly um, two weeks ago, and I'm going to come back to it right now. This is the proof text for infant baptism, what we're looking at. The proof text for it. It's nonsense. It never says that the jailer had infants. But that's like they, well, like they said, well, he had infants. And, and they went and just, nonsense. The jailer, he, he's in a position of authority. The majority of them were retired military who they would put into these places to look over the prisons. His children at the very, their ages would be at the, at the least in the teens, if not already out of the house. He's established. It nowhere implies there's one baby in the household. The implication is, by the way, by, the, uh, by how it acknowledges that his family believed in the text. That they were all old enough to make that decision. And to build such a nonsense doctrine when it's not even present in the text. That should tell you run away from it. See, that never even got started to get into the 3rd and 4th century with Constantine. There's, there's so much false things. That's three or 400 years after Christ, by the way. This in no way is a proof text. for You don't baptize infants. You baptize those exactly what happened after somebody has been convicted of their sin, has, has, has come to know Christ through repentance and faith. That person gets baptized. Then, anyhow, let's go on here. We see his conversion, and then we see a changed man. Immediately, there's evidence of genuine salvation that has taken place. You can see what he does. Look at this text here. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. That jailer, that tough jailer, gets Paul and Silas. Just just think of that scene. And he starts to clean their wounds from the beating they had. Amazing. He starts to wash their wounds... His very first act was that of kindness. What a great image. The truth is the gospel changes you. If there is no change in your life, there is no conversion in your life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I don't care what you prayed. When conversion happens, it doesn't mean you won't struggle with things. You will. But there's now a desire for God. There's a desire to do right. You have people that are claiming to be saved, yet they don't want to go anywhere near this book. They don't want nothing to do with it. They don't want to read it. They could care less about it. And they're trying to say, no, I'm saved. I'm all right. I remember when I did it. No. You might have prayed something. Conversion leads to a change. This tough jailer, you see it immediately. There he is, washing their back. Reminding me a little bit of Zacchaeus. What a change that guy had. 
And then we see another, more evidence of his conversion. Now he's fellowshipping with them. He gives them all a meal. The meat there is, is referring to a meal. He feeds them all. Incredible. And look what it says here. He set meat in verse 34. He set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. By the way, that's the, word, that's the phrase I was referring to, where his household had the ability to make the decision to place faith. Right there. But get this, they're rejoicing. Put this together. This is where it gets really neat. Follow me. Let's, let's, let's take it from the viewpoint of the jailer's wife for a second. Let's go, let's go to his wife. Just a short time before, hours before this, an earthquake is hit. The doors are open. Her husband was seconds away from death. Within probably a matter of less than 60 seconds, he would have taken steps that would have led to his death. And now here it is, just a couple of hours later, he's in the jailer's house, having a meal, rejoicing. What could have been so tragic in such a horrible night has went completely the other direction. They're rejoicing at all that God has done. Now, all of a sudden, now they went from this paganistic life, not knowing what was life about, just going through the motions. And on this night, these two men get thrown in prison, and, and through these, some miraculous events that took place, the jailer knows, whatever these men have, I need. Not only does he get saved, his wife gets saved, and now they're rejoicing. I mean, just think of the discussion. I mean, it, just how in all they had to be and how God worked. Just wow. And then we see, we see the, the suffering saints, a soul that was saved in the jailer, and now we have a sorry that was given. An apology is made. Let's look at this here. Verse 35 says this, When it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this, saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told those words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard they were Romans. And they came, besought them, and brought them out, and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison, and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them, and departed. This is incredible what God did here, using this to protect the church at Philippi. So after all these events have taken place, let's, let's put yourself now in the shoes of the magistrates. Okay, You know you performed an illegal activity the day before. You had men beaten severely without a trial. They were uncondemned. It was the illegal act. They didn't know they were Romans, so it's getting ready to get a whole lot worse for them. But what were the charges against them again? They cast this demon spirit out of that damsel, who was proclaiming what? These are the servants of the Most High God, which teaches the way of salvation. And no doubt, Paul coming into Philippi with his preaching had already been taking place. His very first con conversion would have been Lydia, of course, from Thyatira, who was there leading her business. Others, we know, uh, are from con context in chapter 16, had come to know Christ as well. They know about him. 
They have him beaten and thrown in prison. This earthquake hits. I don't think they associated too much yet. They didn't hear the praying and the, and the singing. But that morning, when they heard what took place at the prison, wait, all the doors were open? Everyone's bands were loosed? And everybody's still there. They all went to Paul. They were right around Paul and Silas. Maybe the jailer was there telling them, you know what? I myself have converted. Some of the prisoners have converted. Now these men, they want them gone. Right, God. We don't know what we're messing with here. So they send their sergeants. Those are the guys that would actually did the beating as well by probably different shift or different men, I don't know, but same position. To go and say, go ahead and go. And Paul says, I'm not having it. They condemned us openly without, or they beat us openly without being condemned. They, they're not going to hush us out of town. Paul knew the trouble that would cause for the church of Philippi. He wasn't going to have that. He wasn't about to be secretly let out. Think of how suspicious that would be for this brand new church that just got started. Without much explanation, they just saw that they were beaten and now they're gone. Paul's not going to do that. So when the sergeants come, Paul says, you know what? They have beaten us, uncondemned, and let them know that me and Silas are Romans. They go back. They feared when they heard that. Why? There was a law. I should have wrote down my notes. I remember it starts with a V. There was a Roman law in place. What they just did to Paul and Silas, they could be condemned with capital punishment themselves. They would be killed. They fear. They're like, oh, we have messed up. And so the, the rulers of a chief city of Macedonia, where the very first church in Europe is going to be established, is about to get immense protection. Think about this. The magistrates go see Paul. There's, I can't think of a better word, outside of leverage right now. Basically, it's, it's going to, to put it in, in my, what's taking place without necessarily even being said, although it might have been said, it just doesn't say. But it wouldn't even have to be said. Basically, it's this. The church at Philippi, you leave alone. You know what you did to me. And you think about this church in relation to the other churches, like he's going to go to Thessalonica, all the persecution they have. When he comes back to Philippi, they're still doing pretty good. Isn't it amazing how God used all of it? Let's think about that for a second. This is where we can get in some amazing principles for life. As Paul leaves the prison, he simply goes to the house of Lydia. It would have been a nice house. She's very established. This is where the church of Philippi was meeting. And, of course, he comforts men. They're talking. Let's, let's, let's think about this with the church, what they're going to be discussing in the house of Lydia. Besides Paul preaching truth to them and getting excited about God, that's going to be number one by far. But they're going to be discussing the events that happened in those last 24 hours. 
They had to be just amazed at what God did, how God turned something that was looking so horrible, so awful, into something so beautiful and incredible. How when Lydia was there, maybe she was there as Paul was getting beaten. The other converts watching this thrashing take place. And remember, Paul had held up. Paul knew if I did this, he knew it was going to go down. But he did it. He's being beaten. Thrown into, the jailer comes, and they would hear the magistrate, put him in the inner prison. They're not going anywhere. You can think of how anxious they were that night. What's happening? Little did they know how God was using all of this. So often, if, if that's what we stress, don't forget the sovereignty of God. Even when it appears that it's hopeless and you don't understand what's taking place, God knows. He knows how to use it. He knows what he's doing. And so I have no doubt they're discussing that. They're thinking, how we thought it was just horrible. It's, look, look what God's done. The jailer's sitting there with his family. They know they have protect. They know the magistrates are going to leave them alone because of the crime they committed against Paul. Incredible. And there are times we can think there's no way out of certain situations. Oh, but don't ever forget those two words we talked about. I think it was on Wednesday or last Sunday. But God. I mean, if you were to talk to that jailer who was ready to take his own life and ask him, ask him about that, do you believe there's situations that you, there's just no way out of? You don't know. I've seen what God can do. If you ask them at the church at Philippi, they saw what God could do. Again, there are times we think there's no way out. No. With God, there's always hope. Always. Now, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're saved and, and it's simply that part that you need. Maybe you're facing something that, oh, in your mind, you just, you just can't see good of it. You just can't see a way out of it. Listen, do like Habakkuk did. We talked about that last week. Just put your mind on God. Focus on Him. How great He is and how good He is. He's in control. Trust Him. Or maybe you're here, and you need, you're in the same position as the jailer with needing an answer to that question of, what must I do to be saved? That is the most important question in this world. And the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed.